Happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another fantastic episode of Cisco Champion Radio. Today, we're getting icy. Yes, we'll be talking about ICE 3.0, and of course, no surprise, we've got a wonderful uh, cast of characters to lead this conversation and deliver what you want to know. All right, so we're going to get started with a round of introductions, and then we'll see where this conversation takes us. Okay, Chris, we'll start with you. Can you introduce yourself and what it is you do at Cisco? All right. Thanks, Emily. Uh, yeah, Chris O'Rourke here, and uh, I lead the engineering team for, us for security policy and access. So uh, my team uh, my team builds uh, builds the ICE product and was the, the brains and energy behind uh, the 3.0 launch we're going to discuss today. Great. And do you have a Twitter handle? I do not. Oh, that's I know. okay. Got to work on that one. <laughs> All right, Dan, tell us about yourself. Hi, guys. Uh, Dan Sheldon here. I am a senior consulting systems engineer with Worldwide Technology. Um, been here almost four years. Uh, love talking everything from route switch security and software-defined anything. Perfect. And I don't tweet Deep. either. I'm similar to Chris. you got to meet me in person. Ah, uh, okay. That's okay. <laughs> Peter, you're up next. Hey, I'm Peter Jan Efkens. I'm from Holland. I'm an independent consultant, trainer, and author. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter with @pjnf. All right, Shai, who are you? What do you do? I'm Shai Silverman. I'm not from Holland, uh, but I am the director of network services for San Jose State University, uh, managing a whole slew of technologies uh, for the campus. And uh, my Twitter handle—I don't tweet that often—but it's s h a i d o m. Shidem. Okay, Chris, we'll have you set up the conversation with a little background on today's topic. What are we talking about today? Sure. So uh, we're here to talk about the latest release of the Identity Services Engine, which is uh, 3.0. I think we posted it up uh, middle of September, so it's been out about a month now. Um, Really want to get the feedback of the panel here on uh, the new content, where any questions are, you know, are they excited about it? Uh, is, is, is it resonating with them? Do they find it useful? Thanks uh, so much, Chris. So um, a lot of my clients, uh, generally within WWT, we focus on kind of Fortune 250. So very large enterprise-grade clients. And um, a lot of them are kind of down the software-defined access and software-defined networking journey. So one of the major changes that we've seen based on release notes and, and kind of first impressions with ICE 3.0 has been the uh, software-defined access to ACI integration mm-hmm. with um, kind of the uh, VN awareness within the ACI fabric. Um, that's, uh, I think that definitely lines up with kind of what WWT's purview was with Cisco's directionality to moving to a you know single all-encompassing fabric, single pane yep. glass management, um, kind of that holistic network management view. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that, that VN awareness within ACI? Yeah, so um, we're we you know, there are a couple integrations. I mean, you're kind of watching uh, in in many ways. Ice get pulled in with deeper integrations into the Cisco portfolio. Um, you know, the first is with ACI. So we have a, a current implementation which was you know REST based and uh, you know had some limitations in terms of you know VN awareness. So we're making a big step forward. We're kind of going into a streaming service there uh, of. Uh, sharing of bindings between the ACI domain and the campus. That's one big step forward we're making. In addition, you know, consumption with SDA. So, you know, ICE is really a, an integral part of SDA. So with this release, we've also have a, you know, deeper integration with, with the DNAC and, and the front end for that. 
And the idea being that at that point, you're not really, you know, um, managing ice directly from the ice pane of glass. You can do a lot more of it from from DNAC with, with 3.0. That's really another step in the journey to DNAC becoming the management plane for the entire campus. Yeah, and that's something that I think a lot of uh, my clients don't really look at intrinsically has been really kind of how fundamental ICE is um, in all of these components, everything from software-defined access to just DNA centers, operation, you, you know, then uh, when we start talking TrustSec and SGTs, the level of power in, you know, role-based access deployments and and those types of, um, you know, kind of uh, environmental changes I think ICE is kind of overlooked in that. And in fact, it's probably the, the, the foundation of most of these capabilities. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. And you're, and, you're, and you're seeing us kind of, um, you know, move further in that direction. Uh, you, you know, there are some real advantages to, uh, you know, ice DNAC integration, um, which may be less obvious as if it's just viewed as another box. But if you have kind of, you know, DNAC and ICE on the same network, uh, you're co-locating your network management uh, with the with the front end for identity services engine, that's one. Um, that you know, many many times we've had challenges in the past where the you know the, the infrastructure was misconfigured, right? So you use the wrong list of parameters. You're not following best practices. That's one of the most popular sessions at Cisco Live is best practices for ICE configuration. Um, so we can eliminate that by playing that config directly from DNAC if you're if you're using DNAC automation. That's one. Uh, the second is that uh, you know DNAC is in, in close and constant contact with um, with the infrastructure. So a policy download fails, you get indication of it, right? So you're starting to see that feedback loop of not only did it look good when you provisioned it, you know, at the access control layer, but the network is actually implementing it. We're able to provide assurance for those functions uh, in implementation. So that's really the, you know, the envisioned value proposition of ice DNAC integration. And for your customers, absolutely right. I mean, Fortune 250, um, you know, we're market leader with ice in the NAC space. So we're probably present in most of those accounts anyway. Um, so really layering this on top as additional value proposition is the way, you know, we, we're hoping our customers view this offer. So that's the only that's the first part of that in integration. But the second one is, is with ACI. Uh, are there, I, I know that there were some in the past. There were some restrictions with ACI integration with with the limit of SGTs. Uh, with yeah. going into streaming, uh, how is that integration actually being handled with APIC? Yeah, you're you're going to see higher limits on the number of the number of SGTs uh, and number of bindings supported. Um, the other thing that evolution is you're going to um, see data plane, wire rate data plane translation rather than the infrastructure at the borders needing to download all those translations. So it's a big step forward in efficiency. Um, don't have all the numbers off the top of my head here, but uh, big step forward in efficiency and just a kind of fundamentally different architecture. And we're seeing we're seeing many customers, to, to, to your point, Dan, I mean, they understand the value of segmentation in the campus and they're extracting that value and they have another team, potentially another buying center, extracting that value in the data center. And really, we're looking to bring those two worlds together so they can speak the same language and kind of have you know coherent end-to-end policy. Yeah, and, and the third component in that that we're seeing a lot, you know, just in based in you know consulting and conversations I'm having is software-defined WAN, um, and mm-hmm. how that integrates into that as well. So it's it's at this point I'm just calling it SDX because it's yeah. SD WAN, SDN, SDA, um, just kind of all of those components. Um, instead of talking CXOs, we're talking SDX. Yeah, we're we're finally getting into software-defined networking. Took us a couple of decades, I think, but we're getting there. Yes. 
<laughs> and it and it's great that we're getting in, getting into a singular policy uh, fabric. I'm going to call it for the entire campus, and I think it's very important because you're truly starting to get also toward the single panes of glass. It is, it is. But um, Chris, there's something new in ICE 3.0 too. Um, I've read something about ICE API Gateway, and I love APIs. I'm a DevNet user. Can you tell a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah, this is part and parcel to the DNAC integration, as well as many of our uh, where our many of our customers are heading. Uh, we're you know we see the need in ICE to really operate ICE as a workload rather than as a UI driven appliance. Uh, the work we're doing with the the uh, the API gateway is really laying that foundation uh, to to open up APIs to um, operate ICE in a headless fashion orchestrate ice as though you would other data center workloads so really that's the you know that's the the genesis of of the bringing in the api gateway um you'll see us build on that and offer you know standards driven um you know we use the open api spec uh standards driven um you know apis going forward across the entire ice uh ice experience uh but this is really the first step in that direction Okay, and I'll probably also harmonizing uh, instead of looking really in the documentation whether I use, need to use XML or REST API because there's a little bit of a mix in ICE yes. 2.x. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the ICE product is, you know, um, you know, way back in the very early days. I mean, there was some uh, um, the integration of a couple acquisitions. I mean, I think really the normalization and harmonizing is a great word there. Definitely want to, definitely want to uh, iron out those wrinkles. Um, I think that the idea of treating network functions like workloads um, is is very prevalent in our, our, our largest customers. I think Dan's probably seeing that in his Fortune 250. Um, you know, they, they want to be able to spin up, upgrade, repair, pave, repave kind of motions um, without needing to click that mouse, right? They want to script it all. And one of the yeah. components that I think is uh, kind of helping in that, because generally any type of uh, ICE migration that I've seen within my customers has been a major kind of headache. Um, so one thing that we're seeing that's kind of unique um, about ICE 3.0 is this idea of health checks. And essentially doing on-demand health checks of all the multi-nodes uh, that you've got. So generally, uh, all my clients are kind of on a cluster of nodes, you know, whether it be PSNs, admin, main, uh, uh, monitoring, et cetera. Um, being able to run a health check prior to doing a upgrade path, I think is kind of a very unique thing. And it's it's probably going to become part and parcel for any type of maintenance window activity uh, when you're when you're actually manipulating ice. Because we're talking about upgrading, it's like we have a whole new licensing model here uh, going into ice 3.0. Uh, so, I mean, it's, I, I don't think it's just as, as much as upgrading as we used to in the past to just get the new ISO, but now we have to kind of look at licensing. Um, so, uh, I see that we have now three tiers of licensing, uh, kind of sounds similar to DNA center. We have the essentials advantage and premier. Um, and so if you could talk about that and also the question I have is how does this impact now licensing is more user driven than, uh, for example, VM driven. Uh, that we don't have to worry about uh, mm -hmm. licensing the virtual machines that we're running and focus on user counts? How, how does that work? And also, and, and one more piece to that is what happens if I have some groups where I need some premiere? Uh, we used to be able to mix and match so many advanced licenses and base licenses. Is that also still an option? So go ahead, please. 
Okay. Yeah. It's several questions there. Uh, the first is, and you spotted it, alignment with DNA for the licensing, right? So we want to line up just as that consumption model we talked about in the orchestration with Dan's first question. Uh, we want to line up with DNAC, you know, more cleanly in terms of, in terms of those licenses. That's the first. Uh, the, the second is, I mean, and, and really some of that is actually providing the goal is uh, simplicity across the entire Cisco portfolio um, by, by doing that license alignment. Um, you, I, th I think your second question was around um, mixing and matching, right? Like, can you mix and match yes. the, the uh, different license types on one deployment? Um, so, yeah, t two comments. Um, we're going from what I really viewed as an a la carte model with the base peak apex, what we did, we did earlier, where you'd kind of put on your tray what you wanted to at the cafeteria and get charged at the end to... Um, what we consider Russian doll, right? So every every higher license consumes all the underlying functions. Um, if you had a scenario, say, where you had you know a hundred thousand guest users and a hundred thousand corporate users on, um, or maybe fifty thousand corporate users on the same ICE deployment or ICE cube, as we call it, uh, you could definitely have licenses um, which would you could buy maybe essentials for the guest and maybe you need advantage or premiere for your corporate users because you're using advanced functions. So one ice deployment can consume, you know, multiple licenses. Um, just the, the two, the two major changes from my perspective are really the Russian doll and that when you move up, you're, it, it's consuming everything under and, you know, alignment with DNAC. What about having uh, to account for licenses for servers? Uh, is that the thing of the past? Uh, no, you, we're going to continue with our um, uh, both appliance and uh, virtual VM licenses uh, and, and uh, you know, layer this on top of it just as we had done for um, Apex. Uh, I mean, just as we had done for the license historically, uh, the, the licensing model historically. So no real change there. Uh, we're not going to be giving away the hardware and, and then only selling licenses, but it's, it's more we're going to keep in the hardware it is and then, you know, um, charging as you move up. Understood. Thank you. So Dan, 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 somehow, somehow that flushed my cash. You had asked a question just before, just before Shai jumped in. So what, uh, what was your question again? Uh, it wasn't so much a question. It was just uh, an admiration of the uh, introduction of Health Check. I, I think uh, Health Check is one of these features that Probably if you're, you know, if you're browsing through the 3.0 brochure, you won't appreciate it unless you've really worked with ICE for a long time. We put a lot of energy into that. I mean, in fact, mining the issues customers have had historically and basically putting in health checks exactly at the, you know, the, at the top pain points. Um, yeah, so that, that, was a, that was a big, uh, big piece of work on our side. I mean, I will say on the upgrade front, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, some product telemetry we're seeing. Um, we have now... Uh, We've put out, um, you know, product telemetry or some gathering of telemetry on on all releases after two four p twelve two six p six and then two seven and now in three zero. So we're gathering, a, you know, a feel for our install base, and we have forty four hundred customers who've migrated. Um, we think that's roughly ten percent of our install base have migrated to uh, the most recent releases um, without, you know, without a lot of, of of drama. I would say just kind of by historical standards. So I think we we we've made a, a big investment um, in quality in the upgrade process over the past few releases, and we're it's kind of a trailing indicator, but we're starting to see some real real solid return on that. You know, some major you know million endpoint plus customers have moved forward without any you know without any hiccups. So. 
um, you know, touch wood, uh, I think those investments are are, are paying off here uh, on the upgrade front. And and this is always comes back at the top of the customer surveys is like, you know, the top pain point with ICE or the top challenge was upgrade. And, and, and I think we're, you know, we, we definitely are taking that to heart. Even frankly, if it comes at the expense of some of the other the other feature the feature feature releases, I mean that's been the trade off we we kind of live and live and breathe on a daily basis here. What's the adoption you've seen on people deploying ICE on AWS now? I don't have the specifics on that. I mean, I know we have 126 production deployments on 3.0 one month in. And a million endpoints, so that's a that's a good uh, uh, that's uh, that's a healthy metric. Um, I don't have the specifics on AWS, but I will tell you. I mean, uh, it's almost cliche to talk about it in 2020, but workloads are on the move, right? And um, one of the workloads we talked about ICE as a workload. Uh, that's part of the you know that that that's subject to that as well. So you see, it's kind of responding to that by supporting the AWS um, deployment model. Um, so yeah, we we've got customers definitely interested in. Definitely interested in using it there. But it, it is interesting because you really recommend, and I know it from practice too, that in virtualized environments, you do not overbook your resources on any ice cube at all. And how can you manage that on AWS? Because you don't have control over it. At least I don't. Yeah, is, we've is done some ex ex extensive testing with um, ice AWS. Um, I, you know, I, I think what you're going to see is, is potentially we would derate some of the performance uh, to, to be a little conservative there, but we have tested to the limits and, and, and gotten away with it. I mean, that, that uh, you know, request or mandate not to overbook uh, is, is mostly because of ICE's importance in the network, from my mind, right? It is a mission-critical service. Um, you know, what would your day be like these days if your VPN didn't come up, or you didn't authenticate, or you couldn't connect to Wi-Fi in the days when we were in the office? Um, you know, that mission-critical aspect of ICE is a reason why we don't really want to subject our IOPS or other critical compute resources to, uh, you know, uh, to the whims of the underlying, you know, virtual machine uh, system, right? And that's, uh, yeah, that, that, that's, it's an interesting one. I mean, it's painful in the lab, but I think in production, it's, it's definitely the right thing for our, for our customers. It, it is. I always explain that network access control lives in the millisecond world, whereas normal authentication of your computer is living in the second world. And you have a factor of 1,000 uh, in a delay. So a one-second delay or a two-second delay can already create a snowstorm uh, of authentication requests. And, and I've always understood that ICE was, the PSN node was running the database in memory because of performance. And that's also one of the reasons not to overbook. So you can actually don't have to, uh, you reduce the risk of corrupting your database. And, and I'm still a little bit conservative on running it in the cloud because I don't have control over those resources. As part of being kind of a third party um, network architect for a lot of my customers, um, one of the things that we talk a lot about is kind of core infrastructure that, that runs a lot of services and, and ICE kind of falls in that bucket. You know, having been a nice user since 1.1 or 1.3, um, definitely the usability has advanced uh, leaps and bounds over over the last, I don't know, decade. Um, but, uh, you know, having dedicated hardware is something that I recommend highly, you know, especially for something like ICE um, or, you know, an F5 that's doing like your global load balancing, something like that. So there's always a benefit for dedicated silicon running these types of, like uh, Peter Jan said, um, kind of those millisecond latency requirement uh, type infrastructures. Um, 
as you've added more capabilities and more power to ICE uh, and going from, you know, just straight .1x on wired wireless to doing uh, more TrustSec deployments and actual role-based access capabilities, one of the new, um, I wouldn't say it's a new addition, but kind of a new refinement has been the addition of your agentless posture checking. So that's something that really resonates, at least in kind of the uh, BYOB, um, you know, uh, deployments around the world, guest access, that kind of thing, in that you don't want to have an agent or you can't have an agent on a guest access or a, a user's home laptop or a contractor's um, corporate laptop, something like that. So what, what was the, you know, again, I see this as a major differentiator for Cisco. Um, I don't really know of anybody else that has this, you know, working functionally. Um, what uh, what would you say was a major challenge you had in making, you know, um, uh, agentless posture function more <laughs> more um, seamlessly on 3.0 than on 2.6 and 2.7? I think I think some of our unnamed competitors have it. To be fair, uh, uh, have a, have agentless posture. Um, you know, we we really we really went with PowerShell on that, right? So that's the underlying mechanism of you know the ICE ICE appliances launching a PowerShell into the devices to extract uh, information before bringing them on the network. I mean, that's kind of architecturally how how it works. Um, you know, some, some of the challenges are that there's a, there's a, you know, there's a minimum PowerShell requirement. So we're kind of, we had, our team is learning about kind of what the landscape looks like from PowerShell, but thus far in our field trials, we got some good, good, uh, feedback on that. You know, the, the one thing with, um, the one thing with, uh, agentless is I really feel our customers are falling into two camps. I mean, to open up a PowerShell, you need to be holding on to admin credentials, and we have customers who are, you know, the SecOps guys. They're running ICE. They want they're they're fine throwing those credentials into ICE and and getting the extract, the, you know, the the increased value of posture uh, when signing on the network. And those which are, you know, due to due to larger corporate policies and their, their own security infosec type teams uh, don't want to put those uh, to put those into ICE. So it's it's kind of a bit of a polarizing issue, frankly, of whether or not agentless is is a strategy going forward. Um, generally, the bigger customers have the have the you know the human power and the and the help desk kind of and the and the um, the endpoint team that's capable of installing agents. Whereas the smaller customers who want to extract posture without without making that step function investment uh, are very interested in in in, um, in agentless. So we'll kind of see how it, it it unfolds. But that's my that's kind of my purview thus far. Yeah, but the the thing is that there's a big gray thing in between, and I think Shai will uh, be with me on this, uh, which is BYOD. Because with BYOD, I do want to have that posture uh, settings uh, in an as easy as way possible, uh, but no way I'm going to give any authenticator uh, admin access on my computer or my device. Actually, it's not even allowed on my iOS device because that requires supervised mode. Apple doesn't allow that. So that I think that posture is always has always been um, a strange thing. You want to have it, but it's 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 like a chicken and egg to actually get it deployed. Kind of a balance. I mean, I think between uh, ease of usability of the network, a service call, and security, and you have to kind of find the balance in between. Yeah, and, and when I now hear Chris talking about PowerShell and admin credentials, I'm thinking about a method of bringing that to that Windows computer. I'm not starting about Mac. Uh, and, and I'm also thinking about security and malware, ransomware, that's using the same mechanisms. So you might even introduce a new security risk with that. 
Speaking of security, I want to dive a little bit into the how uh, ICE plays into the Cisco AI endpoint analytics and, and, and how ICE brings value into the process. Because I think that's the other aspect of it with all of the BYODs as well. So endpoint analytics is a uh, new application that's come, you know, consumable via via DNAC, right? So it's consistent with the story we were we were discussing with Dan earlier, uh, and it brings some very very powerful tools. I mean, in my view, it's really the the next generation or you know next level profiling. Uh, those powerful tools include you know network probes for. Um, deep packet inspection, really going beyond some of the probes that I, that that the ICE platform is consuming, uh, as well as an ML layer to do you know clustering of devices and finding anomaly detection now, which we, we're just releasing this month. Um, you know th- those those two really kind of are going to take your um, network uh, network profiling capabilities and visibility capabilities to the next level. And so, why didn't we build it on ICE? Is, is kind of a natural question. I mean, part of this, uh, part of the, the underlying tools, again, is like traffic inspection with the span port on the, um, on the telemetry appliance, uh, which, by the way, you can also run uh, natively on the, on the 9K switches. So that's, you know, differentiated for summer span port based competition. Um, NetFlow collection, which is, you know, takes some pretty beefy platforms. We weren't going to layer that on top of the mission critical ice. Um, access controller. So once those are in place, though, we're really looking at, um, you know, again, kind of, uh, you know, digitizing or taking that, uh, that some of that painful work on ice of identifying your unknown endpoints and putting, you know, much more powerful tools in the customer's hands. Uh, one, of the, one of the coolest features on there is clustering. So, uh, you know, if you have 100 devices and they're exhibiting a similar behavior on the network, we will suggest to you with ML Insights that these, that these 100, you know, should have, should have the same label. And, you know, at a cl- with one click, you can go ahead and add 100 static entries and ICE terminology uh, to, your, to your endpoint table. Now, so how does an ICE customer benefit from that is, the, is, is, is a good question. I mean, you know, in, in our view, um, it begins, everything begins with visibility. But you can go from there to build, building policy and then ultimately to enforcement. So if you really want to have a robust, you know, segmentation uh, deployment, micro segmentation deployment that protects you against laterally moving threats, that segments your assets based on their risk profile, it really begins with visibility. And, uh, you know, I would view endpoint analytics as the next generation of profiler. And definitely um, we took some big steps there technology wise. Uh, and and taking it forward by a decade, for, you know, from my perspective, and we needed to br- bring a new platform to do it. Um, but you'll see that uh, you'll see that it's far more effective than um, than some of the ice profiling was. And I know that with ice profiler, folks have gone and they put a lot of energy into those whitelists and the, the you know the, the 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 list we put in there in terms of static endpoint entries. Um, we're going to be pulling those and integrating those into endpoint analytics to offer a smooth smooth transition as well. Uh, we've put a lot of energy into you know thinking about that transition. Yeah, because we see a lot of, uh, with IoT, we're seeing the device diversity is really starting to increase beyond actual users, more about the machine-to-machine devices. Without a doubt. I mean, I, I feel, you know, at the highest at the highest level, Ice Profiler does a pretty good job with your conventional fleet of laptops and phones. Um, you know, we focus there for years. IoT is where it's getting, you know, getting, un- frankly, uncontrollable for a human a human-delivered solution. And you know, there's a lot of buzz about AI and ML in, in our world these days. Um, I think there's a very good application of it, right? So it's a, it's a problem which is you know quantifiable, 
increasing exponentially and we can you know apply these tools to to really derive some some straightforward insights again kind of beginning with clustering which is like the 100 level of um you know of of machine learning and going on to things like anomaly detection and 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 you know um behavioral abnormality is going to go going forward so we're going to build on that foundation and you'll see ml become part of this this life cycle um we're introducing this concept uh, in endpoint analytics called a trust and you know a degradation of trust so are you losing uh, the trust of the device because it's behaving out out of out of normal um is do we think it's a spoof that kind of thing so we're building on that um you know at, very actively building on that product today and it's and it's been cool to introduce those new technologies and actually turn some of that ml buzz into uh in into into product and, and customer value Chris, you're you're very uh, accurate in saying that kind of that the uh, baseline versus outlier mapping uh, natively within within a, a platform is is uh, all the buzz, uh, despite you know various OEMs. Um, what do you think the over and under is on Cisco labeling it as AI enabled uh, ICE versus actually just using the machine learning term, which is always a personal favorite of mine. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many people between me and that decision that I probably will not comment on that one. Man, I'll... <laughs> yeah. So, Chris, um, I think uh, a completely different question, but we are we are recording this Champion Radio podcast not in person, but using uh, a, a sort of distributed studio. We're all working from home. Uh, a lot of businesses actually have empty campuses or empty enterprise networks, uh, which is good for lifecycle management because nobody is working or not that many. Uh, but how does ICE fit in? Can it fit in with ICE 3.0? Are there some things related to um, security from, from working from home? ICE in general, and we, we talked a bit about agentless posture, um, has always been designed to, you know, secure network access regardless of your attachment point. So whether it's wireless, whether it's a switch port, or whether you're coming in via VPN concentrator, uh, we can we can provide the backend authentication with all the all the activity ICE undertakes. And this is the this is one of the greatest analogies I have for ICE. I mean, since since I began, is like I really view ICE as airport security. Uh, you know, maybe 20 years ago, you used to show your driver's license and get through, and then they added a thing for your bag, and then a dog, and a scanner, and like, so we continue to up our game in terms of, um, you know, our access control and and have a more robust, uh, more robust list of technologies, just like airport security has evolved over the years, uh, and so, so we've always been doing that, right? Um, we're seeing, of course, we're seeing a major shift from Wi-Fi connected devices to VPN connected devices. That is happening. Uh, now that, you're, now that you're, your device is at home, it's subject to threats, which maybe it wasn't subject to as, as your threat surface has changed, right? Your threat surface is now the stuff in your house making a lateral attack in your device rather than, you know, other, your, other things inside the walls of the corporation. Um, we've, we've always had this capability uh, to, to sit behind VPN. And um, we view agentless as a next step in that, right? So agentless over VPN, we can we can still interrogate the device and, and provide you a higher degree of, of posture before joining. Um, so so you know from that perspective, I think ICE is what both is very relevant, but has always been relevant to remote access. Uh, I can tell you, we've seen a lot of customer deals with you know going with AnyConnect licenses are are you know are are, are being attached to more of our deals. Um, 
And, you know, and a lot of corporations, you know, maybe we work for here have been doing this remote access and VPN for decades. Uh, you know, I started at Cisco, I'm dating myself, but in the late 90s, and I had VPN going like the first week I joined the company. But we're seeing with, 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 with COVID, frankly, many companies racing up that curve and, you know, adopting that, that functionality on ICE. Do you, do you also see bringing it back to SDA and campus networks? Uh, we obviously use SGT for micro-segmentation, and I believe it's also possible to assign SGTs in my AnyConnect client, depending on who I'm uh, on my authorization. Have you seen an increase in that too, because of COVID? That you can still use, that, that that's actually being deployed too? Yeah, I think segmentation has kind of been on this steady journey, right? I will tell you, uh, you know, we're removing some of the friction to, to segmentation. First of all, I think you have to be brave to deploy it, right? Because if you get your policies wrong on segmentation, you can bring down business critical services. But those customers who are over the hump on, uh, on segmentation are definitely using it on the VPN as well. And, and, and some of the tooling we're, we're delivering to, to make for better segmentation includes endpoint analytics we talked about. It includes uh, group-based policy analytics, which is a great visualization tool for visualizing candidate policies, as well as the, the new tools on, on DNAC, um, DNAC for a uh, product we call ACA internally, but it's group-based policy uh, for, for mapping um, and, and defining the, the, the contracts between segments uh, from, from DNAC. So, you know, we're, we're continuing to invest in the segmentation journey. I think the most urgent thing we've seen from work from home is get my VPN up, scale my VPN, uh, secure my endpoints uh, with fundamental security kind of being, um, you know, either certificate-based uh, and then moving on to posture and segmentation is it still remains an advanced topic, but, you know, our goal is really to bring segmentation to the masses here. And one of those kind of masses questions is that a lot of my clients are, you know, large enterprises. Uh, many have greater than 100,000 you know, endpoints or users. Um, one major limitation that we've run into in the past has been, you know, DNA at this point kind of uh, ceases scaling out after about 100,000 endpoints. Um, with the one to, you know, in previous versions, the one-to-one -one pairing of uh, DNA Center to um, ICE was kind of a limiting factor. Um, one of the, the kind of, you know, release notes uh, mentions new multi-DNA Center support so that you can actually tie multiple DNAC domains into a single ICE uh, domain, because I think ICE maxes out at like 2 million endpoints, right? Right. I mean, I think the relative scale difference is becoming obvious to some of our customers. And certainly, Dan, I mean, you, again, you're serving, you're serving the, the Fortune 250. Um, yeah, th this, is, this is a good step forward for us. I mean, there are a couple, couple things we're working on. You know, one is um, handling the ratio. Uh, and by the way, there's a, we kind of have to anoint one of the DNACs as the, as the master, um, uh, you know, or the controller device and the others as, uh, you know, in, in monitor mode, um, as you go through this. So you're seeing us do that. We're going to scale that out. And then again, DNAC, DNAC capacity itself, we've got some plans, uh, looking to kind of increase the density there as well for, as the new product evolves. So, um, yeah, you definitely... That one became a, a really, frankly, a, a showstopper to any of the larger customers beyond 100,000 endpoints. Yeah, and especially with the release of like the 3695 too, I think kind of goes hand in hand for acknowledging Cisco putting R&D dollars directly in scale and scope, um, you know, to kind of be that enterprise uh, grade, you know, 
Oh, yeah, platform. Uh, absolutely. And, and I mean, and, and you also have to kind of, ref, you know, reflect on the uh, the relative, uh, you know, maturity of the products, right? I mean, ICE has been out there for a while. We were in pursuit of that 2 million endpoint for years. It's actually, you know, to get to 2 million endpoint, it, it's a it's a 54 appliance uh, ICE deployment, right? So 50 PSNs and then your two PANs and two M&Ts. Uh, so, so that kind of, you're, you're going to see us kind of advance on, on all fronts there. All right. This has been another great episode of Cisco Champion Radio. I want to thank all of you for listening in today and a special thank you to our guest and Cisco Champion hosts for being a part of today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's topic, just click on the link provided in the podcast description below. And just a reminder, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform to get alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to hit that subscribe button now. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed today's episode and we'll see you next Monday.